This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. It's Monday, February 20th. He's lived longer than any other U.S. president. Now a nation prepares to say goodbye. We start here. The family of Jimmy Carter says the former president has entered hospice care. The 39th president has really just decided that this is time for him to spend time at home with his family. What's next for him and his legacy as tributes pour in? If you give Ukraine a missile, are they going to ask for a fighter jet? The question is, what would you need F-16s for? Why does our alliance reaches a new level? So does the relationship between Russia and China. And the instruments say the air is safe. Their lungs tell them otherwise. I have a tanker that's sitting on its side on my property line. Why some Ohio residents are packing up and moving out a second time. From ABC News, this is Start Here. I'm Brad Milkey. Howdy. We say howdy in Georgia also. In 2017, five former U.S. presidents gathered in Texas in the wake of Hurricane Harvey and Irma. They were there to ask everyone to come together to help their fellow Americans. Well, it's a great pleasure for me to be here with the other presidents to carry out this big uh, project. That was former President Jimmy Carter, surrounded by every other living president whose term had ended. President Bill Clinton is on stage, George H.W. Bush, his son, of course, George W. Bush, and Barack Obama. President Donald Trump videoed in from Washington. Let's all work together and make America still a greater volunteer nation. Thank you very much. And there weren't many of these moments in recent American history where this many of our former leaders were able to gather together, embrace, and personify the continuity of our government. And in recent years, George H.W. Bush passed away, and everyone was unsure about lingering health problems for President Carter. This weekend, Jimmy Carter's family announced he's elected to go into hospice care. The question now is when, not if, we will lose another American president. Let's go to ABC's Faith Abube, who's been covering this throughout the weekend. Faith, what changed here in the last few days? Can you walk us through this? Hi, Brad. Yeah, so we know former President Carter hasn't been feeling well for quite some time now. And so, you know, some of it, of course, is due to his age. He's 98 years old. He suffered multiple falls a few years ago, which caused him a black eye. He had 14 stitches on his forehead after one of those falls. My eye is black, as you notice. But uh, I had a number one priority, and that was to come to Nashville to build houses. He's had hip surgery uh, that was in 2019 because of a fall. And add to all of that, he was diagnosed with cancer back in 2015 that spread to his liver and brain. I just thought I had a few weeks left. But I was um, surprisingly at ease. He's had surgery to relieve pressure on his brain. He was hospitalized for urinary tract infection. But now I feel, you know, it's in the hands of, of God whom I worship. And... Uh, 
I'll be prepared for anything that comes. He's just had a lot to deal with health-wise. And so uh, this past weekend, the Carter Center revealed that message, saying that after a series of short hospital stays, that the 39th president has really just decided that this is time for him to spend time at home with his family as he battles all these issues with his health. You know, it's a decision that means that he has entered hospice care at home instead of getting additional medical intervention. And so the Carter Center says that, you know, he has the full support of his medical team and his family. And the reality here, Brad, is that, you know, considering his age and everything that he's been through with his health over the years, a lot of people weren't really surprised by the news. But it's really still very heartbreaking to hear that a former president is terminally ill and he's in this transition period. Right, exactly. This is being termed very consciously as end of life care. Like there's there's not a question about that. But Faith, do we know, like, is are we talking about days or weeks or months? There's no sense of what this sort of looks like at this point going forward, is there? Well, the family is very private, uh, and so there aren't a lot of details right now, uh, and they're also asking for privacy, which is understandable right. as they navigate what you can imagine is a very emotional sure. and difficult time for them right now. But based on all everything that we've learned from our medical experts and from national guidelines, uh, people usually qualify for hospice care if they have a terminal or serious medical diagnosis, and they have about six months to live, and they refuse any further traditional medical treatment or if there really isn't anything more doctors can really do for them. Of course, I'm not an expert on hospice care by any means, but really my understanding here is that in this situation, you have a team of providers there with him trying to prioritize the patient's comfort. Um, They're trying to focus on his quality of life. They'll focus on the person's spiritual and emotional needs, and they really are just trying as much as possible uh, to reduce their pain and suffering as they go through this process. Yeah, there for the for the former president and, of course, for the family. There's so many things happening in this kind of moment. Faith, what has the reaction been like in the meantime then, both, both you know, sort of in Georgia but also around the country? You know, the former president is well-loved. So many of his admirers sending him well wishes, their prayers, their support. Uh, they were sharing them on social media. They had photos, they had videos, you name it. My whole public life has been devoted to keeping the peace and promoting human rights. And I think a basic human right of a, of a human being is to have a decent place in which to live. President Carter has touched so many lives, especially after his years in office uh, with his humanitarian work, his peace efforts, his charitable work with Habitat for Humanity over the years. Of course, the Carter family uh, is saying that they really appreciate the outpouring of support, all the kind words that are coming in. And so they are really offering a way for people to be able to show that support further. They have created a website where they're asking people if they have messages of peace and comfort for the former president. They can actually go on this website and leave that message and share their photos and videos. And if you're interested, you can find that through the Carter Center website. Right. And really that type of person where you know, there were political differences. He had a lot of political opponents. And yet almost universal admiration for Jimmy Carter, the person. Also, you'd like to think that perhaps a chance for Americans across the country to talk about end-of-life care and hospice care. Faith Abube in Washington. Thanks so much. Thank you, Brad. All right, next up on Start Here, the U.S. military isn't fighting, but could its planes start patrolling the Ukrainian skies? We're back in a bit. We all know there are things in life that you have to compromise on, but when it comes to your health... 
There should be no compromise. Don't go back to that one doctor. You know the type. Like, I've had this person before that doesn't actually listen to you or who seems just in a rush to end your appointment that you spent months making. Instead, check out ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. You can search by location, availability, and insurance. So no compromises here because with ZocDoc, you got more options than you know. We're talking about booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated, patient-reviewed, credible doctors and specialists. Go to ZocDoc.com slash start here and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's ZocDoc, Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash start here. ZocDoc.com slash start here. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Have you ever wondered what you would do with an extra hour in your day? I think about this all the time. I'm like, I would be so productive. I'd exercise more, or I'd read a book, or I'd take a nap, like restore myself. We often find ourselves yearning for these extra hours, but the real question is, what would you do if you were making yourself a priority? Well, how about therapy? It can help you discover what's important so you can make the most of your time. If you've ever benefited from therapy, you know how transformative it can be. It's not just for those who have experienced major trauma. Therapy empowers you to learn positive coping skills, set boundaries, and become the best version of yourself. If you're considering starting therapy, you should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and tailored to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire. You'll be matched with a licensed therapist. And here's the beauty of it. You can switch therapists if you're not finding the right fit. No additional charge. Take the first step. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash start here today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash start here. A few weeks ago, our own Martha Raddus used this phrase that stuck with me. You've heard the term mission creep, where your military mission gets bigger and bigger in scope. She said the war in Ukraine could potentially be a case of weapons creep. When Russia invaded Ukraine, the U.S. was worried about being seen as directly intervening in a Russian war. We sent some weapons to the Ukrainians, but no missiles. Then, in December, we decided to start sending these advanced Patriot missiles. But just the missiles. It's not like we were sending tanks or fighter jets or anything. Well, recently, the tanks have been allocated. So what else is next? We need to start training Ukrainian pilots on the F-16 now. Yesterday on This Week, Senator Lindsey Graham told Martha that the next step here has to be that Ukraine gets F-16s. And it appears that this could be in the works as President Biden prepares to head to Europe nearly a year since Russia invaded. Let's bring in Colonel Stephen Ganyard, former Marine fighter pilot, former State Department official, current ABC News contributor. Colonel Ganyard, can you just tell us about F-16s and what kind of difference they would make in this conflict? Well, I guess there are two things to think about here, Brad. One is, what is the political theater that's going on? Uh, and part of that is, is what Senator Graham is participating in, and that is uh, diplomats and politicians trying to hold NATO together and, and show a united front. Uh, that is not exactly what the Ukrainians need. The F-16s are very complex airplanes. It takes a long time to train not only the, the crews, but the maintainers. Uh, it takes a huge supply chain. It takes weapons that they don't have. Uh, and so really what's going on here is you have two efforts. One is how do we keep the Ukrainian, uh, the Ukrainians from being overrun by the Russians? What are the kinds of weapons they really need versus what is the political theater going on in NATO to show no NATO coherence and a united front against Russian aggression? 
what are the Ukrainians asking for? I, I feel like since the early days of this war, the Ukrainians have been saying, hey, we, we need like we need more in the skies. That's where this war is going to be won or lost. They do, but the problem is with an F-16, if you aren't going to give the F-16 a weapons that the uh, that the Ukrainians can actually employ or would be useful, then they really aren't what the Ukrainians need. So right now, they actually have a pretty darn good air defense system that's kludged together in sort of a Rube Goldberg way of, I think there are at least seven or eight different uh, surface-to-air missile systems that have been linked together. So you have all these countries that have their own individual surface-to-air missile systems. Those are doing a very good job, frankly, of bringing down cruise missiles and taking care of the threat in the sky. So the question is, what would you need F-16s for? What the Ukrainians really need is the ability to strike deep behind Russian lines and take out their supply caches to be able to prevent them from uh, having the things that you need to, to wage war. So the best way to stop the Russians is to take away the kind of things they need, like fuel, like ammunition, and hit them in the rear areas. What we should not do, any of us, is to focus or get fixated on any particular weapon system because the weapon system itself, as important as it is, is not uh, is not sufficient. The administration has um, been very clear. They don't want to accelerate uh, or at least further inflame what they think would uh, happen if they were given weapons out beyond about 100 miles. Right. That's interesting that, that the long range missiles, which we don't know that those are going forward yet, like those could be seen as even more adversarial, even more sort of escalatory than the planes keeping watch over Ukraine's sovereign skies. Steve, can, can we just turn also from not just the U.S.-Ukraine alliance, but also this alliance between Russia and China. Like Russia seems to be very much on the front foot in its war right now. We've heard China might actually be giving more material aid to Russia. What could that look like and what kind of impact would that have? It seems that there's some intelligence out there that suggests that the Chinese are about to sign some sort of a deal to provide military weapons to Russia. We've been watching this very, very closely. And for the most part, China has been engaged in providing rhetorical, political, diplomatic support to Russia. But we have information that gives us concern that they are considering providing lethal support to Russia. Now we know that they've been skirting the sanctions with other things other than military capability. But this is something that would obviously concern not only uh, Ukraine, but NATO, the U.S. in particular, if the Chinese were to support them. Now, what could they do? Remember that most of the Soviet Union exported its weapons to China early on. And so in a lot of ways, the Chinese have reverse engineered old Soviet kit that they can now sell back to the Russians. And that may be one way to help them. But the real question here is, are the Chinese willing and ready to cross that diplomatic bridge uh, and burn it behind them? by supplying weapons to the Russians that would be useful in a military conflict. How big of a deal is that? I mean, we provide stuff to Ukraine. Is it how, how big of a deal is it if China decides to cross that diplomatic bridge, as you called it? I, I don't think it's that big a deal other than the perception. But remember what's going on here, Brad. We've talked about this for months, is that the Chinese are slowly, slowly trying to make Russia a vassal state. Russia has things that China needs, food security, energy security, extractive. So no doubt there are all sorts of good deals. Like the way the Russians use all these European, Eastern European countries is kind of like, hey, you do what we want. You're saying China can do that to the entire Russian Federation. Right. China has things that Putin wants. So China says, OK, you're going to sell your oil to us at a 20 percent discount for the next 10 years. That's a good deal. Putin comes back and says, well, I need something else. Well, you can sell us iron ore extractives for the next 10 years at a 30 percent discount. So there's all sorts of ways that the Chinese can extract long term economic security out of the Russians by playing ball with them early on. Fascinating stuff. All right. Colonel Ganyard, uh, thank you so much for the perspective. Thanks, Brad. 
When Ohio Governor Mike DeWine gave a press conference last week on the derailment of a freight train carrying toxic chemicals, his words were encouraging. Uh, we had sent in members of the Ohio National Guard and, and, and had, their, had their protective suits on uh, to measure the air. Uh, and no one went back within that area or was allowed back in that area until they could come back and tell us that the monitoring was consistently good. But it wasn't lost on residents that the governor was giving this update from his offices in Columbus. It's tough to tell people to be confident in their air when you're not there breathing it with them. Residents were told to drink bottled water, but within 48 hours, DeWine and other officials were saying it's safe. And as more public officials have come through East Palestine, where this train wreck happened, it's clear residents are getting more and more frustrated. Let's take you there this morning. ABC's Mona Kosar-Abdi is in Ohio. Mona, the CEO of Norfolk Southern, that's the rail company whose train cars got wrecked. He came through this weekend, right? How was that visit received? That's right. CEO Alan Shaw was on the ground giving going on an apology tour, I'll call it, because he said that he was going door to door uh, and every conversation he was telling people how deeply sorry he was and that he was going to try to gain this village's fragile trust back. I'm here to support the community. And um, if you'll excuse me, that's where I'm headed right now to meet with some community members. I spoke with one resident who lives literally, it happened in her backyard. It sits right on my property line. I have a tanker that's sitting on its side on my property line. And she told me that she has not received a visit from him. I think we probably would have maybe liked a knock on the door. Are you guys okay? Do you need anything? Because she feels like it's been now over two weeks and that there's not enough information that they're getting and a lot of mixed messages as well. Um, I would say probably three, four days after we went back home, a lot of eye irritation, eye infections, respiratory, headaches, horrible. Um, the headaches aren't stopping. When we arrived in East Palestine, I would definitely say that there is an odor in the air that I can only say resembles battery acid. I will never be comfortable in my home, not with our backyard. My kids will never go play in our backyard again. As I was about to talk to her, I realized that her neighbor was in the process of moving out. He didn't want to speak with us on camera, but he was loading up his uh, furniture into the back of his truck, and he was out of there. He says he has- Like moving away. He was moving away. He said he's done Mm. living there um, and that he didn't see himself coming back. He has about three months worth of rent in a different town. He said he couldn't move far enough. How can you look all these citizens in the face and tell them there's nothing wrong? There was a town hall that was held and residents expressed their frustration. Are we really safe? Is our water safe? You destroyed our town. They are still skeptical. They are concerned about the air, the land, and the water. Well, with all that in mind, like, they're being told that their air is safe, right? They're being told their water is generally safe. EPA and state agencies are actively testing all this, the air, the soil, the water. How do experts square their readings with what these residents say they're experiencing? So Ohio Governor Mike DeWine basically said that he himself would drink the water and that the East Palestine municipal water is safe and that there were no contaminants found in the testing. The testing results from East Palestine's municipal water source have come back. uh, And the results are that that drinking water, uh, testing those five wells that go into the community system, uh, those five wells have all come back clean. The water is safe to drink. The residents of East Palestine hear that but they're not listening. Well, we've uh, started at 8 o'clock this morning handing out water. Uh, We've given out about seven pallets of water. There are actually stations in the middle of the town where people are handing out 24 packs of bottled water. Oh, wow. And people are donating as well, so it's a pick-up and drop-off location. Officials have said it's safe. Yeah, 
I just don't trust it yet. The woman I spoke with, Shelby Walker, says that she doesn't believe that she's seen enough evidence, that enough testing has been done to prove that there are no contaminants in the water. We don't drink the water at all. Um, we don't bathe in the water. We do shower, um, very quick shower, and then out. But I cook with bottled water and we drink the bottled water. Well, OK, so then, Mona, if 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 residents are like, hey, we need finer tuned instruments that are more used to dealing with some of these particular chemicals. Like, great, there's nothing showing up on these instruments. But what about ones that might be specifically designed to look for these? Where do you go next? Like, what, what, what are the next steps in a town like this? Uh, that's a good question. So both Ohio senators uh, recently signed a joint letter calling on both the state and federal EPA to conduct regular testing of these toxic for these toxic chemicals. And so they are asking this to be long term and to ensure that there's regular testing. Uh, the important thing to me is that we hold, as the administrator said, that we hold Norfolk Southern accountable. Um, that means accountable for the test for people to move back in, accountable for all the cleanup that will take weeks. I don't know how long, but at least weeks. Norfolk Southern right now, the railroad company, is facing a class action lawsuit, and they're mm. alleging that this company's negligence has led to a one million pound plus chemical burn pit and the spread of chemical toxins. So they're facing a number of lawsuits and more federal lawsuits have actually been filed. So this is not close to over for them. Um, so there's the environmental impact, but there's also the emotional and physical toll that it's taken on these residents. Norfolk Southern, the company, says it's, quote, committed to coordinating the cleanup project and paying for its associated costs. It also says it'll be working tirelessly to work with these residents to get everyone on their feet as soon as possible. But clearly, right now, even though the EPA, every agency is saying, from what we can tell, there's no danger here, it's just not quite lining up with what these residents say they are seeing and feeling in their noses, in their throats, as they walk around. All right. Mona Kosar-Abdi, there in Ohio. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, one more quick break. When we come back, wait, Mark Zuckerberg would never borrow someone else's idea, would he? One last thing is next. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. And one last thing. I'm old enough to remember when Elon Musk was blasted for instituting a new paid Twitter verification system. Twitter is a hot, chaotic mess right now. This is the one. This is going to be the end of Twitter. You have to have a subscription! If you're not over on Twitter watching the real-time implosion, it's kind of fun. When for just eight bucks a month, you could pay to get a blue check mark that would promote your replies above others and would keep you from being impersonated. That is, until a bunch of folks bought check marks for accounts under the names of other people. If major corporations are losing money or if people's reputations are getting ruined because the Twitter app is telling people that, hey, this little blue check mark says that this is a real verified account, they're going to sue Twitter. The program was halted at Twitter, but to the rest of the tech world, the lesson apparently wasn't that this shouldn't be tried again. Rather, the takeaway seems to be you could extract even more money if you do this right. 
This weekend, Mark Zuckerberg announced that Meta, which owns Facebook and Instagram, will be testing a verification system that will cost anywhere from $12 to $15 a month. In exchange for that money and a photo of your government-issued ID, you'll get a checkmark telling people you are who you say you are, and your posts will become more visible across the platforms. Exact same idea as Twitter, except it should be harder to fake your identity. It will cost a cool $14.99 to use this on your mobile device. The web version is a little bit cheaper, which makes me wonder, what do we even mean by verified anymore? Recently, Twitter announced that two-factor authentication will now only be available to its paid clients. Two-factor is what all your hacker-conscious friends use. When you're signing in, you don't just give your password that could be scooped up by some hacker. You also have to respond to an alert on the phone that the service knows is yours. And this new policy made critics say, oh, wow, so while Twitter claims to care about security and disinformation, they're going to make it actively harder for the average user to stay secure. It's only for the paid customers. Twitter said some forms of two-factor authentication, like text messaging, have actually gotten less secure as scams have developed, which is true, but then why would you allow your paid customers to use it? As for Facebook, its claim to fame has always been that its users are real people, using their real names. In a world of handles and screen names, Facebook was among the first social media companies that said, you have to have a working email account, you have to have a first and last name. People are going to know that it was you who posted this. That'll create the town square vibe. There have been workarounds, but this new plan, which is going active in Australia and New Zealand this week and is slated to go worldwide, is kind of a tacit admission that as part of their new business model, where businesses and groups are everything, you're coming into more contact with strangers and less with so-called friends. Oh, good. Now that person in my local buy-nothing group who's always trying to give away, like, used paper bags might be like a verified person giving away paper bags. Hey, if you're looking for some good news in the world, I got some for you. In Central Park, New York City, this owl named Flacco got loose from the Central Park Zoo. He's been spotted around the park in recent weeks. The zoo now says they're going to stop trying to recapture him because he's doing so well. Flacco is thriving, you guys. He's living his best life. Whether you got a check mark or not, you should check in with us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We do check all the replies, as long as you're respectful, of course. I'm Brad Milkey. See you tomorrow. Thank you.